Well, how many of you are ready to hear from God's Word today? My name is Josh Berry. I am one of the directors of Modern Worship here at Cassidy, but today I get the great honor of filling in for Pastor Steve this week and actually next week as well as he is out. And we are going to be talking about a series revolving around the story of the prodigal son and the characters from it. So my hope is that if you already know this story, it's going to speak to you in a new and real and powerful way, and that if you're not familiar with this story, that God is going to use this to speak to you as well, but to show you a bit more of his character, just how he is a good and a loving father. So we're going to dive into that story, but before we do that, I'd like to ask for some help, so if you all wouldn't mind praying with me, we're going to do that together here. Heavenly Father, would you please bring each and every one of us to a place of knowing you more because of this time that we spend in your word and just in your presence. God, we know you are good, we know you never give up on us, and we know that you love us. So help us to lean into that and help us to accept that a little bit more today, to go out from this place, living our lives a little bit more like you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, who all of you have heard of push and pull factors? If you have, you're welcome to type that in the chat. You can type which one's your favorite. Type, I like pushing things, or I like pulling things. Um, we're going to be talking about both push and pull factors today, though. You might be familiar with these because of school. We talk about them in geography class, and we talk about them when we're learning about world events. Push factors are things that cause you to leave an area. Pull factors are situations, conditions, anything that causes you to go to an area. So my definition that I would give to them unofficially is anything that causes you to pick up and move an area because it is driving you away from it or it is calling you into it. Push and pull factors. If it helps, we're going to actually go through a couple silly examples just to make it a little more clear um, what those push and pull factors are like. So on a smaller scale, let's say you're sitting in class or you are sitting in a waiting room um, just waiting on something and the person next to you is chewing really loud and it's like obnoxiously loud. It's some chips, it's just a giant carrot for some reason. You're like, why do they have a carrot? You're really uncomfortable. You pick up, you grab your things, you move five seats over or to the other side of the room. They have pushed you away because of their behavior because they made you uncomfortable. Perhaps the area you move to has no people at all. Maybe you can see the TV really well. It pulls you in. Push and pull factors. We're going to actually take some time just to wake up a little bit. If you're sitting in your chair right now and you're just feeling a little bit slow, still waking up for the day, I would challenge you to make a push motion. Everyone at home, push motion right now, push factor. Now we're going to do the opposite, pull factor. So take your arms, pull them towards you, pull factor. Push factor, pull factor. So we have another example. This one is on a larger scale. So let's say that you live in a really weird town where everyone eats tuna fish for every single meal of the day. They just really like tuna fish, but you one day realize you hate the smell of tuna, and you smell it all the time. It's in the air, it's on people's breath, and you just get fed up with it. And one day you're like, I cannot take this anymore. So you again grab all your things, you stand up, you put all those things in your car, and then you start driving away from Tunaville because it has pushed you away because the smell is so horrendous. You need to decide where to go. And you hear about this land where the hills are rolling and the sunsets are beautiful and the air smells like flowers and milk and honey. It's Ozark. Um, but <laughs> you decide to go to that area and that is then a pull factor for you. The tuna town has pushed you away and Ozark has pulled you in. Push factors, pull factors. 
So push factors and pull factors, they can be really big scale things, they can be really little things. Regardless, they cause you to leave a way of life or a place that you live, and they cause you to start a new style of life or come into a new place of living. So we talked through some silly examples, but in reality, push and pull factors are affecting us each and every day. They influence the way that we live. So not only do they influence the places we go to, but they influence the people that we hang around, they influence the way that we live our lives, the way that we talk. And as we've talked about in past sermon series, and as you've probably heard before, the people that you are around then influence the direction that your life goes in. So we need to be really cautious about how we live our lives and who we are staying with, who we are going to, and this is going to ultimately be what helps us to live a life that is godly and that is good. So if you have been around, we had a movie night on last Tuesday of this week, and we watched Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1. We're going to be talking about one of the characters from that story today. His name is Peter Quill. You might also know him as Star-Lord. And Peter Quill is a character that has a lot of push and pull factors acting on him throughout the whole movie. The very first one of those that we see is actually when we meet Peter as a young boy, and he is at the hospital with his mother who is unfortunately dying of cancer. And Peter is such a young boy in this time, and he is afraid of the emotions, he is afraid of the loss, he is afraid of the pain, and he actually runs away from his mother while she is on her deathbed, asking him to take her hand, but he has to run away instead because he can't handle it. And this is a push factor for Peter. The fear, the pain, all of that drives him away. He is not able to handle it. So he runs out into a field. He then comes into an encounter with a pull factor, which for him is a giant tractor beam. It's not usually something that we have to face, thank goodness, but he is abducted by a group of people called the Ravagers. They are led by a guy named Yandu. He is as beautiful as an angel, but not as nice as one, his words. Um, but he pulls him in, and then the Ravagers bring Peter into this lifestyle of crime. They make his morals questionable, they have him go and steal things, and they keep him in their ranks because, one, he is a boy, but also he is afraid of them because they threaten him by saying, if you try to leave us, if you try to wrong us, we're going to eat you which they talk about that later in the movie, like that's not a normal thing to threaten, that's kind of weird, um, but it keeps Peter with them this whole time until we meet him in the movie and he's trying to get away. So often we find ourselves in a place of running away from something because of fear, or we go to a different lifestyle because we feel like it's going to bring us gain, or we feel like it's going to help get us out of a sticky situation, but it never does. So we follow Peter in Guardians of the Galaxy and we follow the prodigal son, in the parable, and we see each of them come to this realization that they can live a better life than they've been living. We are going to now read through the story of the prodigal son, just all the way through it, just to get it fresh on our mind. But before we do that, I want to talk about this main idea that we want to get out of the story. I've already um, talked about it a little bit, but it's this idea that life with God is a pull factor. It's something that we should want to live in, and life of sin is a push factor. It's something that we should want to get away of away from. It's something that takes time for us to figure out, but it is worthwhile for us to dive into that and to sort through it. So without uh, further ado, we're going to read through the story. If you want to turn to your Bible, it's in the book of Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 24. So we begin with Jesus saying, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to the father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, 
the younger son got together all the things he had and set off for a distant country and then squandered all of his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole land and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of the country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs are eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He said, Whoa. No, he said, yeah, don't worry. I read it wrong. <laughs> he ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. So since there is a pause anyways with that, I'm going to take a moment to pause here and say that this is one of the most amazing parts of the story because the father saw him at a long way off, even though the son had been in a different life of sin. When he came back to the father, the father was ready and there to accept him. He threw his arms around his son and kissed him. The son began to say his apology. He said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father interrupted him and said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring a ring and put it on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and let's kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. They began to celebrate. So this, again, is a story you might be familiar with, maybe not. I hope that you enjoyed reading through it in that time, and we're going to actually go back through the story point by point, beat by beat, breaking it down into the different steps of the stone's journey. And my prayer is that one of these is going to jump out to you, that God is going to speak through it and that he is going to say, hey, this is a place that you might be at. This is a place you've maybe been at. This is a place someone else in your life might be at. And the whole point of this is for you to begin seeing that God loves you so much that he wants you to keep coming back to him, to not worry about anything of sin, to not see sin as something that's appealing, and to not be ashamed even of sin that might have been in your past, but to turn to God and to accept his love. So let's go on to the first point. We first see the younger son demanding his inheritance, and this is the beginning of it all. This is him saying, hey, dad, I can't even wait for you to die. I just want you to give me the money that you're going to give me when you die so that I can go off and do what I want. That's really hurtful. That's really rude. That is disgraceful for the family. In ancient Jewish culture, that would have been a huge insult, not only to the father from a son, but also just to the family. People would have known that happened, and that would have been so hurtful. But the father still, in his love for his son, knowing that he wasn't at this place of being fully matured, fully grown yet, he gave him that money, and he let him go off on his own to learn how to do life. And that's what we see the son do. He leaves for a distant land, this is actually probably the most um, dangerous part of the story because the son picks up his stuff and he leaves from the father. Now, in this parable, the father represents God, specifically God as we see him as a father. And this is often the mistake that we make. We distance ourselves from God. It's when we're distant from God that we can't hear from him, that we can't fully experience his love, that we get off track because we don't know how to do things perfectly because we are not God. So, the son leaves for a distant land, and so often we have left for a distant land, if not physically, then in our hearts or in our minds. When we leave for a distant land, what that looks like is us adopting a lifestyle of sin. 
we see the prodigal son doing that because he is squandering his wealth on just extravagant living. He's probably buying like super expensive meals and he's probably hanging around bad crowds. He's going out and like just basically wasting his money, all of the inheritance that he just got, and he is completely squandering it. So the thing is, the money that he got was from the father. It was not bad for him to have that money. The father gave it to him out of love, but he wasted it. So in our lives, we often have things from the Father, even if we're living in a life of sin, even if we don't fully understand our place in God's family. You might be really talented at something. You might be really good. You might be really skilled or knowledgeable, but you might still go off and use that to do something that isn't glorifying to God. And that is squandering the wealth that we have. That is squandering the talents and the provisions and the means that God has given us. And here's the reason we talk about that is because we see that when we, or when the son, squanders the wealth that we have, we begin to be in need. So if you are doing something for your own gain or something just for no purpose that isn't to serve God, it's going to come up empty. You're going to end up feeling in need or physically being in need because of that. And that's said as a warning, but it's also just meant to begin getting this idea of sin being a a push factor and God being a pull factor for us. Sin is always going to lead us to a dead end, and God is the one that is actually going to bring us new life and new goodness. So the son began to be in need. What does this look like in our own lives? Well, what if we take a look at different sins that people might regularly fall into? And I know I've struggled with so many of these And it's something that's super common for us to struggle with. So when I talk about these, it's not meant to be um, anything that calls us out, but it's meant to be something that opens up our eyes to the need that there is. If we get into the regular habit of lying, if we get into regular habit of being greedy, if we get into the regular habit of being lustful or slandering people, all of these things, they're going to seem good at first. They're going to feel like exciting living, like the sun was doing, but they're going to end up leading us to a dead end and we're going to feel dry and empty. We're going to realize that there is no life in that. When we live in sin, it is putting us in a place that severs us from true relationship with other people and true relationship with God. So that is why we need to see that. We need to cut that off before we get too deep into it. The son got too deep into it, and he found himself in a place where he was hired out to a person of the foreign land that he was living in. So this wasn't even a person of God's kingdom. But he was working with pigs, he was working in this job that felt shameful, that felt dirty, and he thought to himself, how did I get here? That is where we often find ourselves if we don't catch ourselves in our um, actions before they get to a point of having gone too far. Here's the great part, though, is that it is never too far. We are never too far gone for us to realize that we need God and to turn back to him. And that is amazing. That is the good news. So we need to turn back to God in whatever place that we are in if we are living in a way that does not incorporate him. When the son realized this, we actually took a quote right out of the story. He says he came to his senses. And I just love that line so much, so that's why I wanted to highlight it, because he is coming to his senses. We need to come to our senses and be aware that we need God in our lives. If you don't know this about me, I actually work at a preschool And I started there quite recently, and it's been one of the most challenging, but also one of the most amazing experiences of my life, because little kids are the funniest people ever. And if you ever work with kids, you'll know that you pretty much always leave a day having like 12 different stories that you can tell. And I thought about a story when I was uh, making this sermon. So 
we have lunchtime, and that leads right into nap time at the preschool because the kids eat the food, then they get really tired, then they want to sleep, and it's awesome. So lunchtime, though, we have to get them set up well so that they actually eat their food and they behave, and we usually get them set at the table before they're perfectly ready for lunch. So we need the kids to be like controlled so that they don't start fighting each other or just running around while we wait for the food to come in. So I usually ask the kids little questions like, what's your favorite food? What's your favorite color? What do you want to be when you grow up? And that's a question that I asked the kids in this story. I said, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And we would go around the table. About halfway through the table, because make this motion because we sit in like a little semicircle. Halfway through the table, one of the kids said it wrong. And he said, instead of saying, when I grow up, he said, when I wake up. And he's like, when I wake up, I want to be Batman. And then the kid next to him was like, yeah, when I wake up, I want to be Spider-Man. And then they all just went down the line saying that, and they had the line wrong, and it was hilarious because they said, when I want to wake up, I want to be this. But it made me think about this story because how often are we going through a lifestyle that is essentially us just going through the motions and we are asleep to how destructive something is? We need to wake up. We need to come to our senses. So my question for you now in this moment and as we go through the rest of this message is, when you wake up, when you come to your senses, what do you want to be if you feel like you need to wake up? And when we talk with God later today, when we have more time in his presence, in our worship, I would challenge you to think about that and to ask God that as well. So the son recognized that there are good things in God's household, and we're going to zoom through these last few points, but the son realized that he needed to go back to God because there was not good, there was not life in this lifestyle without him, at a distance from him. So he humbles himself and prepares an apology. And this is the most victorious moment in the son's story. And this can be the most victorious moment in your own story. If you are struggling with something, if you feel like you are at a distance from God, just simply humble yourself. Be willing to apologize to God. Be willing to come back to him and say, hey, I haven't been doing it right, but I want to start doing it right. In Peter Quill's story, to bring it back to Guardians of the Galaxy, the most victorious moment in his story is when he and his team they all sit and then stand in a circle, and they say, we are, for once, going to not run away. And that is huge, because Peter's story begins with him running away, him being afraid. But when he decides to not run away from the evil that there is, from the challenges that there are, that's when he begins to see victory. And in his case, we see it as a dance-off, facing against Ronan, who is the bad guy from the movie doing a dance-off, and Peter catches him off guard, and then they shoot some lasers at him, and you'll have to watch it to see exactly how he's defeated, but it is probably the best defeat of a supervillain ever. Your own story might involve a dance-off. It might not, but if you don't know what else to do, I would encourage you, maybe try dancing a little bit. It probably livens things up. But Peter's dance-off is his victory because he is realizing that he needs to be true to himself in the way that he was made to be because he is a dancer. He is not meant to be a criminal. God made you to be some way. Be true to how God made you to be. And then we return to him, back to the Father, to be greeted by him. The son returned and was greeted by the Father. His apology was interrupted, which I think is amazing. This, the son was coming back feeling like he needed to do something to earn God's grace, but God was just ready to give it because the son was coming back. When you turn back to God, he is ready to accept you with open arms, with a hug, with the best of what he has. When I read this part, I think about my own father. Um, I'm from St. Louis. Whenever I go home, I make a long drive, and then I pull into the driveway of my house, and probably every single time, before I can even get out of the car, my dad has already been waiting at the door, 
long before I got there, and he is already coming out to give me a hug. And it is, to me, it is an example of what God's love is like, and it is a beautiful thing. So we need to be willing to accept that God wants us to come back home, and that when we get back home, God is going to celebrate with us. In the story of the prodigal son, God gives his son the best of what he has, the best of the estate, the fattened calf, the ring, the sandals, the robe, the sun looks awesome, he's well fed, it is exciting. When we come back to God, even if it's just turning from one lifestyle of sin, just one thing, God is going to celebrate that because that is worthwhile to him. We read in scripture that there is more rejoicing when one sinner repents than if 99 saints have already been in heaven. There's a lot of times when Jesus talks about this idea that he will go after the one and leave the 99, to leave the ones that are already doing things right, just to take the time to get that one back. And it is not God saying that the ones that are doing things are right are seen as less, that he loves them less, but God loves this idea of unity. God wants us to be together with him. Finally, to bring this back to Guardians of the Galaxy again, we have Peter Quill, who is running away from his mom when he finally faces his fear and then comes back to his ship, to his place that is his home. He opens up a gift that his mother had given him on her deathbed, and he had never opened it. He finally opened it up, and it was a mixtape called Awesome Mix Volume 2, filled with a whole new set of songs for Peter to listen to on his Walkman that he listened to throughout the whole adventure of this movie. So he had tons of new songs to listen to and celebrate with because he was finally willing to face his fear. And that gift had been there the whole time. He would have always gotten it. If he had not run from his fear, he would have had it right from the beginning. But even though he still ran when he came back, he got that same gift. God extends a gift to each of us when we choose to come back, when we choose to accept his love when we choose to turn from a lifestyle of sin when we realize that it is not the place for us to be. And the exciting thing, too, that I want you all to realize, friends, is that God has given his best for each and every one of us. He gave that in his son, Jesus. Jesus is the sinless and perfect son of God. He died for each and every one of us, thinking of each of us as the one that needed to come back into his family. So in this time, I would want each of you to take a moment to thank God, to take a moment to consider your place with God. Maybe you don't know where you stand with him, but we know where God stands with us. We know how he thinks of us. He loves us. He loves you. So we are going to pray now, and I want each of us just to take this time to be willing for God to speak to us and to take this time for our hearts to be willing to open up to God just speaking into that and allowing his presence just to fill us up. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you are patient. Thank you that no matter what we do, we can never fully separate ourselves from you because you are always willing to accept us back in when we are willing to turn back to you. So God, help our hearts to be willing to turn back to you today. As we are sitting in your presence, do what only you can do. And let us just to see you with love. Let us to feel more love for you. Even if it's scary, even if we don't know how to handle it, God, help us just to take one area of our lives where we want to turn around and live a little more like you. Jesus, we love you, and we're going to sing your praises. We are going to celebrate with you because you have done good things for us. You have done the best thing for us. We pray this in your name. Amen.